Folklands, created, written and presented by Tim Downey and Justin Chubb. Mini-episode, Times Past and Present. My name's Justin Chubb, and together with my friend and fellow actor-writer Tim Downey, we're setting out to explore some of Britain's most intriguing myths and legends out on location using our trusty Zoom H6 handy recorder. Before we started our investigations, we met up earlier in the year at my house, a 200-year-old farmer's cottage in North London, where we had a chat about some of our influences and inspirations from childhood, and also discussed our ambitions for the coming series. So come back with us to a cold night in February over a bottle of fine ale for today's mini-episode, Times Past and Present. So, Tim, what's your sort of first spooky memory? As a kid, I remember the Dracula Ladybird horror series that they had. They were like the class- horror classics. So they had Frankenstein, they had the mummy, and they had Dracula. I was terrified of just the cover. And it was a regular Ladybird book? Regular Ladybird book. You could, we, I bought it in the post office, wow. in like our local village post office. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll get this. Secretly, I don't think my parents were sort of, oh, I don't know, this is... This it's is right for you. It's, it's, ladybird. it's ladybird, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they teach you what an apple is. Surely I can, I can look at this. And I can remember having it, but it absolutely terrified, like it terrified me. Mm. Just the cover of this kind of bloodless face pulling himself out of a coffin with red eyes. it at the bottom of the book cupboard but it was the thrill of kind of knowing it was there yeah I I don't want to look at it but I know it's there and then you would sneakily kind of just have a little look at it still yes it's absolutely horrible what about you because I'm slightly older than you I was a child when things like children of the stones were first Mm. on yeah the changes the idea is Luddites take over and everybody stops trusting technology and cars are scrapped and no one will go near any any machines I remember my brother and I playing games afterwards of the changes, you know. Yes, yes. Not wanting to go near pylons, because in the show it's, Nicky, don't go near the pylons, you know. (laughs) So pylons became quite a scary thing. And, yeah, there was this golden age of children's spooky tea time television Mm. that I think tapped into a lot of people like ourselves yes. and grown up into this sort of fascination with sinister, mysterious, oldie mm. things. You yes. Know. But there were three women pioneers of television, I suppose they were really, who kind of controlled a lot of that spooky programming. Anna Holm, Ruth Boswell and Dorothea Brooking and they produced mm. or directed lots of these yeah. spooky things. Time Slip, The yeah. Moon Stallion. Oh yes. Um Raven was the sort of follow-up to Children of the Stones. There was just so many of these yeah, things. Yeah. And Shadows, I think you remember. Yes, Shadows, one, yes. Which was basically really scary programmes for children yeah. at tea time. Yeah. Half an hour ghost story. Yeah. And some of them were genuinely quite yeah. unnerving. And, and also written by like, people like Faye Weldon. Yes. Like extraordinary yeah. writers. And Susan Cooper, her first version of The Dark is Rising is an episode of the Shadows series. Easy. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to go back and 
rewatch. Rewatch that most definitely. And similarly to you, there were definitely books that sort of were scary mm. or had scary pages or scary things but were sort of fascinating. Mysteries of the world or the unexplained world, you know. Yes, and like a crystal skull with lights exactly. kind of emanating. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. That yeah. would have been Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke, Mis- yes, yes. And a friend of mine worked on that series, actually. I was so jealous oh. of him going off and researching all these things. Oh, he wasn't that. interested in it at all. <laughs> and I was thinking, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the best job you could possibly have. Why would you love on this? To this go to amazing. Spain and find the miraculous blood that returns every year to, in this festival. Oh. <laughs> anyway. I love that. But I'm, yes. I'm still terrified of spontaneous human combustion well, I know. because of that. That's that was, absolutely terrifying. That was me. in this very book. Actually, you've tapped into a, a real memory. Yeah. There was one really horrible black and white photo of I think I know the one. It was a leg. It was a leg. Part of a woman's yes. leg in a not too attractive shoe. Yeah. And yes. it was in that book. And that is exactly what I remember. And it was the terrifying thing. I think it was they they write about the fire doesn't spread. It is no. so, it is so contained and that photo with the leg on the floor and it's just almost like the shadow of her yes. that is burnt into the upholstery of her delightful seventies. It's just horrible. My family have got quite a lot of superstitious things mm. attached to my mum's side of the family, really. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother and my mother both read playing cards, like tarot cards. Yeah. We had to keep cards away from my mum because she would ask the cards questions, you know, and then be tormented by their answers. <laughs> and we also had a family crystal ball that was given to my great-grandfather, I think, yeah. in Africa. Yeah, we had we had the same. We because I grew up in a in a village, and we were a very old house. We called the cottage. It was used to sit and still does, sort of almost right in the centre of the village. And the village kind of dips down. So there's that big hill, and there's a, the old church called the Cathedral of the Chilterns, and it's right at the end mm. of the Chilterns, and it's quite big and dominating. We're all very all very proud of it. Yeah. Um, but our little house was in was in the middle, and it was very, very old. We used to have problems with things like wasp's nest. So there'd be a sort of a drone in the house that you would kind of be slightly unsettling. But the story I remember is my when my parents first moved in, they were looking somewhere to sort of you know, uh, redevelop and just kind of knock through a few bits. And in their bedroom, there was a... A, like a stud wall at the end of their bed and by knocking on it you could tell it was hollow mm. so they thought okay well if we're going to renovate that's going to be the place we do it so they just start doing little bits and piecemeal here and there and then one day they decide right okay well we're going to take down that wall assuming it would just be an empty space they could probably make something out of it so they take the wall down and it is a bank of wardrobes Gosh. inside this room oh okay interesting why would you have sealed this up you're reducing the space so anyway they looking through the wardrobes and there's nothing in them nothing in them and yet there's one at the end sort of as it were facing their bed and they open it and there's a suit hung perfectly neatly the only thing in there one suit and you can't take it out and look at it and think okay well 
we'll get rid of that. Yeah. We'll, you know, put that away somewhere. And then, like a couple of nights later, my mother tells this story of hearing footsteps in the distance, walking up to the door. And then you will hear... She was like, what on earth? What earth is that? And then she just wouldn't say anything. And then you'd hear uh, as the feet went away. You kind of think, okay, nothing of it. Was this must be inside something. the house? This was inside. This was inside the house. So it was walking towards the wardrobe door. So it was behind the wardrobe. Whether or not there were stairs there in her bygone time, I have no idea. So it keeps happening and happening, and my mother keeps ignoring it. And there's one particular evening. I think I was very young and keeping her up and she was very tired and it happens again. Knock on the door and she just says, no, no milk today, thank you. <laughs> and with that, she heard this. Oh my God. And the padding away. And that was the last they ever heard of it. Do you know why she said that specific thing? I have absolutely no idea she said she was so tired and so kind of just exhausted by children and just that i think she was just the first thing first thing that she said and it just yeah. happened to be was the suit still somehow the, the right the suit was still in the house right. it was still there i think they just hadn't got round no. like, we'll just we'll just put it we'll deal with that again but mm. that was obviously uh the center that was obviously where what he was after or this person had this suit or left it who who knows but such a strange thing well it's a little have... bit like this sort of idea of things being left for deliberate purposes as you know magical protection or charms mm. something that's sort of been deliberately disguised or hidden in that way you know mm. uncovering a suit hanging yeah. must have been actually quite eerie I would have thought very eerie because it's almost like a body yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And a suit on its own in a sealed room yeah. or a sealed wardrobe is a very strange... Yeah, you're not going to think good things. Have you spoken to your mum kind of about that subsequently and has she sort of said she was frightened or... It was just... She wasn't frightened at all. Right. She wasn't frightened at all. She That initial time she was very spooked Yeah. as just trying to work out what this, what this could be. Is this someone walking past the house is it because we used to have a neighbor that was behind could have been gerald <laughs> who knows but yeah. um but yeah on that particular evening she wasn't frightened at all and i've heard other stories about friends who have seen things or felt things is there there isn't a sense of fear necessarily no there is that sense of a presence but it's not necessarily a frightening thing as you would imagine if you watch TV or something, you see a ghost and you are terrified, you run yeah. away screaming and it's a, a thing of horror, but it is not necessarily like that. No. There are there are others that have a definite sense of foreboding or fear about them. They bring an energy, but no, not, yeah. a, not on that occasion. He was just there to deliver milk, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? 
Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only You do have a really interesting map of lots of spooky places mm. and interesting things. And as our absolute bible to all of this is, of course, the Regis Digest, Folklore, Myths and Legends of Britain. Because actually the connection between us doing this podcast is really this book. Is This book is one of those that I remember as a kid, and I think my parents must have subscribed to Regis Digest, as I think most people did. Grattan's catalogue. Grattan's catalogue. And Regis Digest. And Regis Digest. And it would just sit on a shelf, and then I remember just one day just plucking it off and just looking at it. And at first glance, it's very thick, Mm. it's very dense, quite tightly written. Gazetteer, really, of just places and things, and you could be just kind of blinded by it. But then when you start reading it, Mm. it is like the font of all folklore, myth and legend of this country. It is just... And there's lots of lavish illustrations, maps, pictures. Mm. As soon as you started talking about it on the podcast I was listening to, I thought, I have to have this. And instantly put in a bid on eBay. But no, I think it is extraordinary. And in fact, the introduction tells this very, very eerie story that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Let's have a quick look. Right. This is something that is tapping into kind of folk horror and fascinating ideas of Peter Aykroyd-like time slip or Nigel (laughs) Neal territory. (laughs) It is an extraordinary thing. I mean, just looking at it just now, and it is just so rich and so layered, and I don't think it's ever been bettered. Is the copy you've got now the one that your parents had? No, it's not. Uh. I was at a village fate on the Isle of Wight, just wandering, and there it was. Oh, wow. In the middle. I think I did an audible... (gasps) (laughs) It's the book. It's the book. It's the book. (laughs) My father's name's in the front page. But yeah, so I just snatched it up immediately. So here, here's a start from A Tale of Two Heads. There is, for instance, the story of Dr. Anne Ross, the eminent Celtic scholar and archaeologist, and a major contributor to this book. Dr. Ross does research work for a number of museums, and late in 1971, she was asked to examine two carved stone heads which had been discovered near Hadrian's Wall. What happened next is best told in her own words. I won't do the accent. I was going to say, there was nothing unpleasant about the appearance of the ads. <laughs> won't do that. No, don't. <laughs> there was nothing unpleasant about the appearance of the heads. I took an immediate, instinctive dislike to them. I left them in the box they had been sent in and put them in my study. I planned to have them geologically analysed and then to return them as soon as possible to the north. A night or two after they arrived, I didn't connect this experience with the heads until later. I woke up suddenly at about 2am, deeply frightened and very cold. I looked towards the door, and by the corridor light glimpsed a tall figure slipping out of my room. My impression was that the figure was dark like a shadow, and that it was part animal and part man. I felt compelled to follow, 
as if by some irresistible force. I suppose the next question is, with our podcast, what exciting adventures we might plan and where we might go? And what, what's our ambition? I think it's, it's exploring the sense of place, the sense of time and the layering of story and history and legend. Yeah. Kind of what makes, what makes a place a place, what makes the, what makes the place unique to the person that lives there as well as to the visitor what sometimes brings someone to that place yeah like what what is it like to live in Woolerton where the green children are as in we will go and you expect oh well this is where the green children of Woolerton are but what is it like to actually live in in Woolerton yes. like certain areas are supposed to be UFO hotspots and there's a lot of other things that come from that so is it something that just emanates from the land? Is it something that is just kind of imbued in the landscape? There's areas of a city that are always, no matter how much regeneration you do, the, the classic one is the area around Centrepoint in, in London. Is mm. That's the area of Fagan's Den. Yeah. So even in Dickensian London, that area has always been an area where the sort of the homeless or the poor flock and no matter how much they seem to push yeah. those people out with regeneration and crossrail and all was of these things. Was Seven Dials part of that? I think Seven Dials was, yeah. Because that was yeah. notoriously so the sort of den of vice. Yes. But no matter what you do, there is an energy or there is a something yeah. that draws certain people back to certain places and certain... And Centrepoint was on a crossroads. And Centrepoint is on a crossroads. So maybe... Who knows? But lots of gallows, obviously, were situated on crossroads, and yeah, that's, that's where you'll meet the devil. That's where the devil will be. Absolutely, so he's going to be anywhere. <laughs> he'll be somewhere. Reading about Avebury or seeing Children of the Stones and thinking, I, w I want to go there. I want mm. to, f you know, see if the atmosphere that these people are conjuring in either these spooky books or on spooky television shows. The fascination was to go there and feel if there was an atmosphere and yeah. try and, as you say, tap into what those layers are or what's going on to make these places have that mm. kind of special lure. Yeah. Clearly they do. I yeah. think there's something very special about lots of hill fort sites, not just that they're elevated and mm. there's chalk figures or whatever but there's a sort of sense of peace and something about seeing for so many miles mm. from a vantage point that just gives an atmosphere to something yeah absolutely and somewhere like i think it's chantonbury rings that's said to have a very strange other atmosphere to it as it is a place that has just been built on and built on and built on and built on. So it will be an, an Iron Age fort and then it will be a Roman fort and then it will be Arthurian or some whatever else is kind of added on top and on top. Yeah. So it's a focal point and these places are focal points.
maybe that sense has been forgotten, yeah. which gives it a that then the element of mystery. Why is this place being forgotten? So many towns were Romanized, mm. and the Romans were here for five hundred years, mm. which amazed me when I yeah. sort of first read that because it seems like Julius Caesar was maybe here for I don't know. 25, 50 years yeah. maybe and the Romans yeah. just thought well there's not much here it's not very nice weather we probably yeah. should go home mm. but then you realise 500 years it seems incredible there's not more traces yeah. to me yeah. you know buildings were presumably ransacked and stone was reused to build other things yeah. and yeah. people maybe didn't want traces of the Romans yeah. around because yeah. they were invaders and not absolutely people absolutely. that belonged here and the surest way to get any haunting you like is whenever they say, right, well, we just, we got rid of this druid yeah. uh, place of worship and we use this to build your house. Yes. And you think, ah, right, I think this is going to have <laughs> possible repercussions. So I think you're right. It would be lovely to have adventures where we try to go and experience atmosphere, try and meet people who know about histories and layers of specific places mm -hmm. and try and just see what we can capture on microphone. Absolutely. Get hopelessly lost in yes. a dark lane. That will happen. <laughs> Without a doubt. Are we, are we supposed to be crossing this river? Well, that's what it says. Folklands was created, written and presented by Tim Downey and Justin Chubb with original music by Justin. Thanks for listening.